Okay, uh, it's time to start. Like, in, in the messages that Moshe Rabbeinu left, the name Israel, there were a few odd... I see this is for a four-year-old. So <laughs> there, there were a few odd things that Moshe Rabbeinu said to B'nai Yisrael that don't seem to fit in with the overall uh, perspective perspective of, look, you've been bad, you've got to be good, you're going to Eretz Yisrael. Or this whole general kind of attitude is belied in several psukim some of which I would like to remind you of today. Parakir Gimel, Pasuk Yotet, right? The first Pasuk on the sheet. says, Ki tishma Now this is almost formulaic in the book of Dvarim. This word, Lishmor, and Tishma. Thank you, thank you so much. It's formulaic. Formulaic means, means, it's a fancy word which means that it's repeated many times and I don't understand why. Right? So anytime you don't understand something, you make up a name for it. And when you make up a name for it, you still don't understand it, but it sounds as though you've overwhelmed it somehow. So, so it's formulaic. It appears again and again. And therefore, we would like it to mean something. This idea of tishma all the time, and then lishmor all the time. These words being chosen from a, a large number of words that mean the same thing. So he says, Asher ayom. And then the end of the pasuk. Lasot hayashar Hashem And of course the question is, what, what is this Lasot Hayashar Beinei Hashem Is that something that the Torah teaches us? Is this just another way of saying keep the Torah, do the mitzvot and then of course you're on the straight of the straight and narrow right? That's Yashar or does it mean that you have to search for Yashar? Right? That's the question or that's a question that you might ask there's another pasuk. The second pasuk is from Herodvah Pasuk This pasuk is from our parasha, the parasha of Re'eh. But there are similar pasukim. Herodvah, Herodvah Pasuk Yudchem. Vasita Hayashar Vatov. Famous pasuk. Vasita Hayashar Vatov. There are many cases in um, in Hebrew. In Hebrew, in the Vav which we called when we were little children and we went to school. You remember that? Little children went to school so they learned Dick Duke because over the age of ten no one will put up with it. So they get you when you're a little kid and they teach you Dick Duke. And then somebody comes along and says, Vav. What does the Vav do in Hebrew? Right? What does the Vav do? So now, Hebrew is taught in the Yulpan. So they say, Vav HaChibur. Which means, and. And. What does and mean? Ooh. That's a tough one. That's it. We're better off saying that and doesn't mean anything, anything at all. You can either say and, or you not say, don't say and. You know, it like works out. But here, in this Pasuk, the problem is this. 
Hayashar v'atov. Are they two different things? That there's something called Yashar and there's something called Tov? Or is the Vav not a Chibur, A plus B, but is the Vav an Asindita? I don't know what Asindita is. <laughs> but Asindita is the name of the following phenomenon. A, which is B. Not A and B, but A, which is B. Now, there are certain grammarians, usually with three-syllable jutes, Germanic names, <laughs> who say that sometimes in the Torah, the Vav is asinditanic. That's what they say. And we are not so interested, except sometimes it helps us out. Like in this point, in this pasuk, if the Torah tells us to do the Yashar Vatov, so it would be important to know if we're talking about two different things, or if the second word is somehow refining my understanding of the first word in the following way. Arba, Arba, I'm quoting a pasuk. Etzvonech veheronech. You remember, Abba was punished. What was her punishment? Arba, Arba. Okay, that means intense, a lot. And then what was the exact punishment? Exvonech, which means tsar, pain. And then the Pasuk says, Vheironech, and your pregnancy. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean that the punishment of Chava was pain and pregnancy? Or pain of pregnancy or in pregnancy or about pregnancy right which one is right so, so we think we've been trained to think that it means the second but if it means the second then what is the Vav doing there question answer we'll make up a new name for that Vav and we'll call it a syndetonic and now what does that mean it means etzvonech shel eirodech it's the pain of the pregnancy and not pain and pregnancy, right? Not that, but pain of the pregnancy. So now, in this combination of words, Ayashar v'hatov, the same question has to be addressed. Is Yashar one thing and Tov another thing? Or do we read the Pesach something like, just do Yashar, and that's Tov. Right? It's not a different thing, but it's sort of an assessment of what Yashar is. So we look at Rashi. Rashi says, Yashar v'atov, zok sharat. L'fnim yishirat adim. Sharat? What's sharat? Okay, so what's compromise? What is compromise? If you were legalists. What's compromise? What? Okay, good. Yeah, you're all right. Everybody's right. But compromise is not a law. Right? But there's law. There's law. You say, the law is either you pay or he pays. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong. What's compromise? Compromise is not the law. Right? The compromise itself is certainly not the truth. But sometimes the compromise is better. 
is better get you to move on. You go, whatever the reason you say. Compromise is better. So what is Yashar Vatov? What is Yashar Vatov? Is it with the Torah or is it against the Torah? According to Rashi. Well, I mean it in this sense. That if I was determining a case based on the Torah only, and one guy says, you owe me a hundred dollars, and the other guy says, I paid you, one of them is telling the truth, and one of them is lying. So if one of them is telling the truth, and one of them is lying, so that it means that law could only come to the following conclusion. You're guilty, or you're guilty. What a conclusion. So now let's say the law came up there, the law doesn't know. We don't know. So the law said, okay, we give up. And they go home. And they can't settle, they can't settle the case. What does the Torah say? That when, sometimes, it's better not to paskin according to the law, but to paskin according to the compromise. It gives us permission to do that. So you say that's in the Torah. But I say, okay, it's in the Torah, but not exactly. It was like, what would I really like to do? I'd really like to paskin the truth. I don't want to paskin, I don't want to paskin, like, less than the truth. So according to according to Rashi, or Lifne Mishra Sadiq, what does Lifne Mishra Sadiq mean? This is Well Lifne Mishra Sadiq usually means like more than like somebody decides on his own or she decides on her own. That even though the halacha is this, I'm gonna do that. Like like in Yushalayim. The women in Yushalayim decided one day they all got up. And they said, we're going to bench lift Friday night, 20 minutes before anybody else in the world. <laughs> right? That's called lifting insurance. This cannot be, that can't be justified. There's no halachic position that indicates, but it's on all those calendars that you get a, a Rosh Hashanah, right? It says you're alive, and then there's a time. And that time is 20 minutes before everybody else. Today, of course, it used to be 20 minutes before. But now it's sometimes 19 minutes, it's 21 minutes, because we're like advancing all the time in our ability to count. So, so that it's not just 20 minutes. It's like better than 20 minutes. But that's called Lifnir Mishrat. That did now, if a woman grew up in Mishrat, I imagine, a woman grew up in Mishrat, but the whole life of Mishrat, you're going to try to convince her that she should bench lift at the same time as you do in Tel Aviv. <laughs> she would think, she would like assume that her whole life has gone down the drain, right? I mean, what's the point? Why, why did she live in Yerushalayim all these years? So, so that's called Lifnei Mishra Sadeh. Lifnei Mishra Sadeh. One could argue, is not the din. Right? Because more than the din, is not the din. That doesn't make sense. The din is the din. The din is your bench lift 20 minutes later. Lift the Mishra's Hadid, you bench lift, when you bench lift the Yerushalayim. So Rashi says that Hayyosha Vatel, first of all, he gives two explanations, but it seems that he's talking about the notion as a concept, Yosha Vatel, and he says, Shara, and Lift the Mishra's Hadid. Okay, so we have these two Sukkim, that you have to do the Yashar, that you have to do the Tov, it seems to give us a certain kind of leeway. Able, an ability to act within or outside of the demands of the Torah and the Halakha. Then there are two other psukim that we have to note. <laughs> this pasuk is Perikyu which is also a pasuk from our parasha. And the pasuk says, You see, Tishmaru, you like that word Tishmaru? Again and again? La'asot. 
Tishmeru la'asot. What does it mean? Can you tishmeru it and not do it? I mean, tishmeru la'asot. The Torah likes to do that. To use two words where you think one word is enough. Right? It adds a word. It gives it a flavor. Which is why Chazal often interpreted what it saw as excessive verbiage. Right? We sort of lost are feeling for it because we hear this all the time when we go to shul on Shabbos we hear these psukim again and again but you have to remember Tishmur Lassot is a redundancy right of sorts then it says Loto Seifa Love Veloti do not add to it and do not subtract it now this became the subject of an interesting of an interesting question what is it that the Torah told the Torah just told us that we could do Yashar V'tov. And Yashar V'tov, Rashi told us, is Pshara and Lifnei Mishurat Adin. And I argued that Pshara and Lifnei Mishurat Adin are not in the Torah. They're things that are not in the Torah. And then there's Psukim, his Motrach David. He's talking to B'nai Yisrael as they're going to Eretz He says to them, look, I want you to know that there's certain things that you should add. And then I want you to know don't tamper with the integrity of the Torah. Al Toseh, Baal Tigrah. What does Baal Toseh, Baal Tigrah mean according to Rashi? Rashi quoting the Medrash, quoting the things that we all know. Lo Toseh, Allah, Chavishat of the Fotbits Philip. Chavishat of the Fotbits Everybody knows there are four parishes that are used in the Tfilin, in the Shalrosh. The Tfilin Shalrosh has four compartments in it, and each compartment has one of those four parishes. The order of the parashiot is the source of the machloket between Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam, which is why there are two kinds of tefillin in the world. 100% of the people in the world wear Rashi's tefillin, and a small percentage of the people in the world, much smaller than 100, also wear Rabbeinu Tam. No one that I know of wears Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin exclusively. Right? Everybody wears Rashi's tefillin, and some people wear uh, Rabbinic Tams uh, fill-in as well. Some Hasidim, Hasidim were into that, and the Edot and Mizrach, the, the, the Rabbanim, the, the, the serious people, Edot and Mizrach, they also wore um, two pairs of fill The difference is that Ashkenazim, whether they are Hasidim or Litvaks, wear two pairs of fill-in in series. And and they don't the Mizrach, they wear two pair of tefillin in parallel. And series means that you put one on, and then you take it off and put the other one on. And in parallel means that you wear both of them at the same time. So that the Svaradim, the they don't the Mizrach, people wear two pair of tefillin, usually buy very small pairs of tefillin, which present another problem, that you have to have a sofa who can write a very small, very small parashiyot. And they wear the Shalyad and the Shalrosh, both of them at the same time. So they wear two pairs of them, right, one in back of the other, and two of them on the arm, or on this arm. Whereas the Ashkenazim usually have bigger tefillin and can't do that. So they put on one pair of tefillin until they have the Esra, and then they change, put on another, another pair of tefillin. <coughs> so that's so, so, so the Torah says Torah says it either overtly or by implication of Torah Shemalbet that how many parashiyot are there? four and so what is Baal Tosif? that you'd add five chamisha minin belula 
if somebody would say, the Torah says you have to have four, but the Torah really wants me to have more than four, I have five. Everybody knows there are three brachot. So you'll be a Kohen, or somebody will go to bless the people and will say, if three is good, so four is better. All of these, these three, I mean, I, I won't get into it, but this is a, this is a, uh, a story. And we don't have time for this story. But it would seem from Rashi that what does Baltosif mean, according to Rashi? Well, it, it was adding to something that's already in the Torah. Right? Something that's, that's in the Torah. That Baltosif doesn't apply to things in general. But it applies to the Torah. So how can you add to the Torah? So the, so the Gemara also puts in the seven days of sitting in the Sukkot. Let's say you would say, so the eighth day is Shemini Atzeret. The mitzvah sitting in the sukkah doesn't exist with Shemini Atzeret. But let's say you say, you say, well, the Torah must have said seven days because it had Rachmanus on us. The Torah really wanted to be sitting in the sukkah for ten days or fifteen days. But the Torah said seven because, you know, never. How long can people sit in the sukkah? So is that seven days? But I understand what the Torah really wants. I want, I say that the Torah really wants me to stay in the sukkah, you know, as long as I can, until the snow comes. So I'm going to stay the longer. That's called Baal Tosef. Baal Tosef. There's no example of Baal Tigra. There's no example of Baal Tigra. Now the Rambam, in a very famous passage, famous means that if you learn the Rambam for a couple of years, it's impossible not to come across this passage. Hilchot Mamri. Perik Bet Halachatet. Right, you see, you see the Rambam? Perik Bet Halachatet. The Rambam says this. Hold here. We're going to read it, most of it, and I'll try to explain. He says, one of the responsibilities that the Bet Din has is Lixor Velasor Davar Hamuta. Sometimes, you have to make a prohibition against something that is mutter. It was if you see that there's a problem in the world, that people are doing the wrong thing, going to the wrong place. So you have to say, uh, let's say, you know, you live in a world where, where people are going... Uh, what? Okay. Okay, I'll take that. Yes? Stam yeinam is what you mean. Yayin Nesech is Midoraita. But Stan and the Chachomim said, look, it's not so good that people socialize with non-Jews, because socializing might lead to other kinds of uh, interaction. So they said, don't drink with the Goyim, don't eat food cooked by, by Goyim. They had, they had a, a certain way of, at that time, at that time, the problem of interaction with the Goyim was solved by making certain prohibitions about food. Of course, today we are so clever that we can overcome all of those <laughs> prohibitions in one way or the other, and we are able to, uh, actually, the, quite the contrary way, it will create a situation where we can accept all the limitations and eat with Goyim all the time. So, I guess that's a wonderful thing. <laughs> it means that we're... No, it's, it means that we, we learn Torah, and we work on getting out of it. But the Rambam, the important thing about the Rambam is that the Rambam says, this is an obligation that the Beit Din has. 
The Beit Din is not just to tell you what the Torah says, but the Beit Din is there to tell you how you should act in order to protect yourself, to protect your tradition, and protect the mitzvahs of your generation, the next generation. That's what the Beit Din does. It says, he's a Beit Din Lexorola, and he says, sometimes this prohibition that is indented remains part of the corpus for generations. And he says, sometimes the Chachamim, because of the situation in the world, have to say that there are some prohibitions in the Torah that have to be, uh, we have to be lenient about them because of the situation, there's some terrible situation in the world. So the Chachamim were very lenient in cases of Agunot of women whose husbands disappeared, and there was no way to find, to get evidence about where they might be. And so they accepted evidence in cases, as you know, that they ordinarily would not accept, which would even be seemingly against the demands of the Torah itself. So sometimes the Beitin has to be machmir, and sometimes the Beitin has to be makeup. Who makes the decision? The Beitin. Right? These people are supposed to be competent to make this kind of uh, decision. And then he says, So if this is the case, that the Beitin can add prohibitions and can sometimes even subtract uh, prohibitions from the Torah. So what does the Pasuk mean when it says, Loto say the I mean, the Rambam himself asked the question on himself. So he says, you can't. What, what, the, what the Torah means, what, what the prohibition of Loto Sifal means, you can't say it's in the Torah. It's from the Torah. It was you can come, the begging can come, and arbitrarily create a new prohibition. And they can say no one can wear white shirts anymore. They can say that. That's perfectly reason. They have a reason for telling us never to wear a white shirt. So we can't wear a white shirt. But what they can't say is that the Torah says you can't wear a white shirt. Right? That would be Baltosif adding on to what the Torah says. You know, so the Rambam here is beginning to explain to us his theory, which is that we have to recognize on the one hand the integrity of the Torah, whilst we recognize at the same time the, uh, the authority that the Beitin has to be innovative, right, to change things. They can add, and they can subtract. They can add beyond what the Torah said, and they can subtract from what the Torah clearly has said. But what does Baal Tos and Baal Tigra mean about the Torah? That the Torah has integrity. We have to know this is true. We do this, but it's an addition. Or we didn't do this, but it's a rabbinic ordination. It's not that the Torah said that. We know that the Torah didn't say that. So that in our lifetime, there's a difference between Torah Shemichtav 
according to the Rambam, and Torah Shabal Peh. Torah Shabal Peh is to a certain extent a movable feast. It can change, there can be additions, there can be subtractions. The, the reality of things play a, plays a role according to the Rambam. Torah Shabal Absolute integrity. That's okay. If you look, turn over the page, if you turn the page, We'll come back to this Rambam. And you see, the Rambam Akdomo Leperik Chelek. Perik Chelek is the last Perik of Masechet Sanhedrin. In Perik Chelek there's a discussion, the Gemara, about all kinds of things that have to do with Olam Haba, the good guys, the bad guys, who gets in, who doesn't get in, all that's in Perik Chelek. The Rambam wrote in his Perush La Mishnah, the Rambam wrote a long introduction to Perik Chelek, in which he discusses several of the things which he thought were crucial to uh, the fundamentals of our religion. Right? He wrote this uh, in Arabic. And uh, what you have here, I think, although well, I don't know really, but I think it's the Mosad Arab Cook translation. The Mosad Arab Cook translation, Mosad Arab Cook, you know those brown books? The tr- what? Right, Mosad Arab Cook. They published the, the, um, all of the Rambam stuff, and they put it out in a very nice vocalized edition. What's important to know is that the stuff that was translated from, Ara- from Arabic into Hebrew was translated by Shmuel Ibn Tibbun, who was a later contemporary of the Rambam himself, who translated it for people who lived in Provence and in, in, uh, in France who couldn't understand, who didn't understand Arabic. And it's upgraded. Like modern scholars took the translation and made it a little easier to read in, for people who know modern Hebrew. So that's the translation. There are several other translations, very good, but I think this is the most book. So here the Rambam says, the Rambam says in his introduction to Perk Shalek, he says this, Hayesoda Chi'i, he says about the Yisodot. You know, the Yisodot have become in our world the Anima Amin that we say at the end of davening in the morning, or yigdal, right? You know, the, these, these uh, yud gimel ikarin have made their way into our kind of uh, frame of reference, and we sort of take them for granted. Meaning, we think everybody's supposed to agree with them, and we don't really have to know what they mean. <laughs> like, like, it's kind of a catechism. Like, you know, and you say, do you believe in this? Yeah, of course I believe it. What does it mean? Oh, I don't know exactly. Right? So one of the Yud Gimel Ikarim, one of the Ikarim that the Rambam said was, I saw that Chihi says, Hayatek. Hayatek, I guess, is, is the translation. I, I don't know where he got the, where, the, where this printed out from, actually. But it doesn't matter. Vuhuki Torat Moshe Zot Ma'ateket Me'et Haboreit Barach. You know, it's a fundamental of our faith that the Torah is accurate. That the Torah represents accurately the Torah. So when I take this Torah, when I say this Torah, I say I'm absolutely confident that this Torah printed in 1990 is exactly the same, the Rambam said this, exactly the same as the Torah that Akadosh Baruch gave to Moshe Rabbein. Now, in spite of the fact, in spite of the fact that there are a lot of people 
you may have met here or there in, in college or in Hillel houses or something who think something else and are willing to prove it. It's important to know that the Rambam made this demand of us. That, that there is absolute integrity to what we call the text of the Torah. Then he goes on and he says, he says, No one else had a hand in writing the Torah. Right? As the Rambam says elsewhere, not a word, not a phrase, not a verse. No one else, because as far as the Rambam was a logical person, you know, he wrote a book on logic. And the, the Rambam understood that if you could prove that one word of the Torah was kind of shaky, then that's the end of the whole thing. Right? The whole house of cards falls because, okay, if I prove one word is wrong, or not, not supposed to be there, then even those other words that I haven't proven it about yet, they can also not be there. You know, I mean, what if somebody will come tomorrow and try to prove it? It's only one word that, it's not like you say, oh, I got the one word. Now it's perfectly clear. You, see, you say, no, I've got that one word. I'm just waiting for the second. That was the Rambam's position. The Rambam says, so he uses the same reference. He says, Torah has integrity. This always the Rambam is talking about physical integrity. It's it, when Moshe Rabbeinu gave the Torah to B'nai Yisrael, he read, "Gracious Bolokim et Hashemayim et Haaretz." Here's a kasha. How come the Torah says et Hashemayim? The et Haaretz aren't those words unnecessary? Which is a question that Chazal asked, right? So doesn't that prove that somebody with like a literary style just to, to put those words in? So the Rambam said, no. It is as it is, as it's supposed to be. And there is no wavering from that position based on any kind of human assessment that you might make. That's what we've all studied to some extent, like literature. And we know that, that, you know, we know how literature is treated, right? You know, the literary analysts are only too happy to discover that there's the first edition and the second edition <laughs> of anything. I mean, it doesn't matter what. And then, oh, so now the whole thing is, oh, everything's, everything is, a, is like a free, free-for-all. And, and, and your ability to interpret, because the first edition, the second edition, becomes like endless almost. You know, there's the first edition, the second edition. So, and the Rambam says, no first edition and second edition for the Torah. The Torah physically is like a pillar. It never, it never changes. You have, that's, you, you know, that sounds funny because somebody said this or somebody said that. The Rambam doesn't care. And the Rambam says, I know this because of meaning, meaning that, that why can't I be Mosif and why can't I be Goreya? Because there's a kind of perfection to it. And you know what effect the perfection? Can you change the law? in a particular situation to benefit Am Yisrael, yes, of course you can, but you can't change the Torah. You can't change the Torah. So that even though the Torah Shaval Peh is the determining force in our lives, the Torah Shavichtav remains the immutable force in our lives. It's the closest thing to God that we can imagine and we have it. We hold on to it. That's I mean 
conceptually where we are. What happens? <laughs> where is that? They said it also in the time. In the Torah. Because there is this. The Torah Shabbat was given to be Sinai. And then this Torah Shabbat was added on. So the Torah Shabbat was given that Sinai. That's also immutable. But you can change it. You, can change, you can't change it. The it of it. But you can change the reality of it. So that's what the Ramam thinks. Yes? Maybe this is a consequence of translation. But doesn't he always say here that... Torah Moshe was what I'm saying here, but not that what we have in Torah Moshe. I'm not trying to say that it's not. Ah. Absolutely. It seems like he's only saying that. Okay. If you look at the Ani Ma'amim, which is a rehash of this, it says, what do you have the opinion, right? Right. So, I think that's correct. What we have in our heads, that's all. That's what it is. Now let's go back to the Rambam that we were learning before. The Rambam here is the said, "V'zeshis here at Torah lo tosifa lavalotik rami menu." The second line, "Shlolo sifa the great Torah v'lotik rami and v'likvoha adavar lo olam v'davar shu minat Torah be'betarish v'stab be'betarish v'alpeh." Right, meaning that there is a tarish v'alpeh that's immutable, just as the tarish v'stab that's immutable. But there's more Torah Shabbat The Torah Shabbat remains immutable. But the Torah Shabbat doesn't. So that means that when the Chachamim come and they say, look at the Rabbim is going to show us immediately that we have to do something or we have to decide not to drink Stam Yenam, right? It doesn't mean that when you learn the Sukya, you say, this is what the Torah always said. You say, no, that we don't like, uh, you, can, you can drink Stam Yenam. But we drop on, we said you can. So that means that the Torah Shabbat, the Torah Shabbat, the, the essential Torah Shabbat is also immutable. And you have to be able to recognize that. That's what learning is about. To make these distinctions. One of the things that learning does, it makes a distinction between the primary and the secondary kind of obligation that we have. Now the Rambam says this. Kate Sad. He wants to explain, give an example. He gives a wonderful example. Right, this is written in the Torah three times. Uh, what's a gidi? Right, and it's in its mother's milk. Or whatever that means. Right? Again, all these, it's hard to know what things mean if you just look at them. What's with Piyashmuah? Piyashmuah is the Torah Shabbat. And it was a Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Pasuk. He said, here's a Pasuk, and this is what it means. That's called the Piyashmuah. It's not, not even what we call Halachala Moshe so it must have been one nudnik in the whole Am Yisraelu said, what's Totapot? <laughs> one. But knowing the Jewish people, there were probably one that didn't say it. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, so somebody said, what's Totapot? So what did Moshe Rabbeinu do? He told them what Totapot was. It's filled. This is what it looked like. This is what it is. That's called Mipiyah Shmu'ah. 
It's part of the text. It's the right way to read the text. That's what every text has that. Every text has a right way to read it. Some text, the right way to read it is because there's a tradition of reading the text. This is how we always read the text. If you don't have that, if you don't have a tradition of reading the text, usually you don't understand it. Right? So if you find some, uh, some 10,000 year old text that was written by somebody in a cave someplace and after you decipher the words, you'll find that you don't understand. Right? Because you need a tradition of understanding to understand. Anything else is speculative. And speculative is not that exciting. <laughs> this is the puzzle which we learned that you can't cook meat and milk together. It's not the Issa. The answer is to, to cook the meat and the milk together. But then you can't eat it. But first you have to cook it. Be'besar be'ma. Be'besar chaya. Be'ma means domesticated. Chaya means a vilde chaya. Aval basar of. Mutar b'chalav minatorah. Right? Basar of. Chicken. You can cook in milk minatorah. Chicken you can cook in milk. I did the first time I went to America with my children. With my very little my mother-in-law wanted to give them a feast so she made steak they had never seen a steak in their lives and they all had the same reaction Eiffel Habasar what they meant was where's the chicken <laughs> <laughs> so you see it's all turned around it's all the Rabbah says obviously the puzzle doesn't mean chicken it means meat he says, You're allowed to cook chaya meat and meal together, so that's Korea. Or if a baked bean would come and say, a bird, a chicken, is a cow. That would be Baltosik. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do that. But if a baked bean would come and say, a Who's the Raman goes on and says that the people realized that there was a problem. Since the Pasuk only says, Lot de Bashar, Gedi. Right? A Gedi is a Gedi. A Gedi. So where do you get a Behemah from? Where do you get a Chayah from? Where do you get a. And so if they didn't include the Chayah, the oath, the people would say, Oh, the oath, baby. Maybe a cow is not included. It's a cow. It's not a deep. You know, it's like there's this problem about how literal are you going to be. So the so the Chachamim understood that they have to answer chickens. Then the Gemara says that up north of the place of Rabbi Yossi Aglili, everybody knows that they did eat chicken in milk, cooked in milk together, even after this takana was kind of in place. So you see that Rashi says. I uh, say, so you see, the Rambam says that Baltosi for Baltigra has to do with changing what the Torah itself teaches us. How do I know what the Torah is teaching us in these cases? 
according what? Vipia Shmuah. Vipia Shmuah, which means the received understanding, the received tradition. So the Rambam here was talking about he didn't like he didn't like the Muslims who reinterpreted things but in their way. He didn't like Karaites, as you know, who kind of reinterpreted things based on what they thought the literal interpretation was. And here the Rambam is taking another step and he says that the essential Torah Shebechtah, which is what we're talking about, includes the Mepiah Shmu'ah commentary, which is part of Torah Shebaal Beyond that, once you know that, you could add things, you could subtract things, you could change things, you could do all kinds of things. If you are properly authorized, you're the authority, and you're doing it for the right reason. You're doing it to protect Am Yisrael, then that's fine. That's fine. I just, uh, let's look at, uh, let's look at, there's one more, uh, the, the Rambam and the Moranabuchim, the first of, uh, of, of the second side of the page, says basically the same thing. He <coughs> uh, says, just a You know, here the Ramam is explaining how in the Moran of Uchim, in the Guide to the Perplex, the Ramam is explaining how he divided up the mitzvot in his book, the Yad HaChazakah, and what the meaning of each of these mitzvot, this kind of categories, are. So he says, If this is the last of the 14 books, which is about... Uh, 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 no, no, next to the last the 14 books it's about, about Sanhedrin and, uh, and things like that Edut I should comment that certain mitzvot is a person who learns Torah and comes to a conclusion that's at variance with the generally accepted conclusion. And then he brings his conclusion to a series of Bateidin, who vote against him, and finally he gets to the Beidin in Yerushalayim, to the Sanhedrin, so he brings his case to them, and they also vote against him. They say his pshad is wrong. The Zakein Mamreh, the Zakein, this Zakein, who's a big Talmud can go back to wherever he came from, and he could continue to teach his own shot. I mean, we're pretty democratic. We Jews. He could teach his own shot, but he can't tell his students that they should act according to his shot. In, in, in other words, the integrity of the learning, that has to be protected. The fact that the psak goes against him, that has to also be maintained. Notice, you can be right, but recognize the fact you can be right for yourself to recognize the fact that you have to accept authority so that's what the, that's what the Zakein Mamre Zakein Mamre is uh, so he says uh, B'kevan so 
the Rambam here, you know that the Rambam and the Maranavuchim uh, spoke very often like a sociologist uh, in today's kind of lingo. The Rambam understood, and he said that the Torah understood very well, that sometimes it's hard to maintain the perfected, the, perf- the perfect system because we move from place to place or we somehow come into contact with new experiences and challenges and therefore the Chachamim were always had to be wary of these new things, the challenges, the experiences that took place uh, in different places and they had to add on and take away. But they had to remember that this in no way affects the integrity of the Torah Shabbat or the Torah Shabbat which is part of the Torah Torah Shabbat that's what the that's what the Rambam says we should go through also the Rambam if you have time you do that on Shabbos there's one more thing I want to say we saw that there are two different directives that Moshe Rabbeinu gives one is Yashar Tov and one is Baltosif and Baltigra we see in the Rambam, the Rambam we could, we could kind of reformulate our position. And we could say, look, sometimes you do the Yashar B'tov. And what does Rashi say the Yashar B'tov is? Apshara, for example. Because it's the right thing to do. It's the better thing to do at the moment. But it is forbidden to forget what the integrity of the Torah Shabbat is to which there's no baltosiv and no baltigress or the yashar v'tov never replaces the Torah. Right? And this has been a crunch that people have gone through in modernity. And they said, well, there's a kind of conflict of interest between yashar v'tov and Torah. So let's do the yashar v'tov and forget about the Torah. And here the Rambam gives us very clear direction as though you were sitting here. Like it or not, it's there. The Rambam says, yeah, you have to do the yashar v'tov. But you have to maintain your respect for and understanding of the Torah. Having said all of this, I want to tell you there is in the beginning of the Zarim another Isser. Another interesting, an interesting Isser. And it's not on your sheet, so you just have to bear with me or to just write that, write the reference and I'll read the Pasuk. The Pasuk is in Perak Dalit. The Basuk is in Perak Dalet Pasuk 9. Dvarim, I'm sorry, I'm in. Just one second. Dvarim, Perak Dalet Pasuk 9. Okay, the Pasuk says this. The text, yes. Hishamelacha means don't do it. Hishamer is a word that means low. Right? What's the difference between low and Hishamer? It's something that Chazal have an interest in. But the word Hishamer is an introduction to a laugh. Don't do something. Hishamelacha. Ushmon Avshacha Ma'od. Ushmon Avshacha Ma'od. It's a very love. There's a love, and there's a very love. Lo, lo tignov. That's a love. 
but it's not a very hot. What we're going to have here in this puzzle is he shomer right? And lest you forget the things that you have seen. Right? Lest you forget the things that you have seen and they will be forgotten from your heart. Right? That you will not remember. So everybody knows that this pursuit is a lot about forgetting the Torah. It's a lot about forgetting the Torah. And we might say in light of what we have spoken up to now, that forgetting the Torah is similar to Baal Tigra. In, in other words, a person, somehow with this, standing before this awesome responsibility of being able to understand the Torah as being fixed in stone, so to speak, that, that forgetting part of the Torah that you learn seems to itself be counterindicated to that principle. So, before we go, I'd like to uh, just learn something that Rav Nachman of Rastav said. I mean, we see this, Vasisa Yoshavatov, Vasisa Yashavatov, we see this Balto Sif, right? And now we see this Pentishkach. You can't pass around. There should be enough sheets for everybody. This book, this this the book that this passage is taken from is called Sichot Aran, the the Sichot of Rav Nachman, which means I guess that these are all things that Rav Nachman said orally about the Torah that were collected by his students and not edited by him. This is not his, but uh, we usually consider it to be authentic. I mean, authentic Rav Nachman. Maybe not word for word authentic, but authentic Rav Nachman. Look what Rav Nachman says. You see Kavav, the paragraph Kavav, which is on page Tetzahia. What? Right? So, so, I mean, of course the question is, the question is, you know, I mean, even though I was very enthusiastic in my presentation, if you were a little bit like more annoying, I said, how did the Torah command me not to forget? I mean, after all, God made me forget. It's not as though, I mean, no one, even people with the most wonderful memories, who can recite everything apparently Baal Teh, even they forget. They know that they forget. They, I may not realize that they forget, but they know that they forget. And that there are things that they once knew that now they, they don't know so well. So forgetting, I mean, how can you say forgetting is a lot? It's like, it's like the Torah commanding me not to grow up. No, no, but this is something that's natural. It's something that everybody, everybody forgets. Who doesn't forget? There's no such thing. If that was a criteria for getting a job, no one would ever get a job. But, but everybody forgets. So how can there be a lot about forgetting? Okay, you can reinterpret it in a lot, but you try not to forget, and you work not to forget. But the Torah seems to stay categorically. Yeah, aren't most people forgetting? 
instances of forgetting or remembering specific actions, like whenever I'm awake, I'm like remembering them, doesn't just mean possibly having your head, I mean, it's I know, but it's enough in your head so that if you meet an Amaleki in the street, then he identifies himself, then you know what to do. <laughs> I mean, you have to remember something. I'm talking about Torah. I mean, you know, I say to people, say to learn Torah all day long. I mean, obviously, you remember a year later. You have to, you know, it's all the, everybody says you have to chazora. You have to review, you have to review, you have to review. It's true. Otherwise, you forget everything. So what did Rav Nachman say? Listen to Rav Nachman. So I guess, how do we get to forgetting? Forgetting seems to be contraindicated to the Baltosi. Or like it goes together in the sense that I'm not allowed to add, I have to subtract. I shouldn't forget either, because forgetting is like subtracting. Like I'm subtracting from the Torah in a kind of metaphysical way, or an ideological way, right? I'm forgetting the Torah. Here's Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman says this. He says, you know how they in the world people think if you forget things, very bad. I will be nine. I love Shikicha. I love forgetting. This is not for the quality of forgetting. Not for the fact that I forgot. I would never be able to achieve anything in a Vodat Hashem. Nothing less, nothing more than the glass that I'm like. How come? If somebody would remember his entire life, everything he ever did, everything he ever thought, how could he ever stand before God? I mean, he would be like worse than the worst miserable wench that ever was created. I mean, how could you remember yourself? How could you stand before God? Like when you go to see a king. When you go to see a king, I haven't done that recently, but uh, I imagine it as follows. You get dressed up. You look good. He says, what do you mean you look good? I guess you want to look good better than you usually look, right? You think you could do that. But if all the time you were remembering how miserable you really are, the things you actually think about all the time, the things that you are like concern you, the the pain Adam that you're missing out on. So how do you go to heaven? I mean, you might as well stay home or don't go to God. Right? That's what he says. He's not going to be. Furthermore, everybody would be very confused about everything that's happening. You wouldn't be able to know who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, who's getting punished, who's not getting punished. Oh, the world's a wonderful place to live in. Right? We, we forget everything in the past. That's how we are. It happened. It's gone. It's over. I don't think about it anymore. They know Jose Medato, old cloud. And I don't think about it again. I don't think about the time when I took that chocolate bar when I was five years old. My mother told me not to. I don't think about it. I don't remember it. It's nothing. It's gone. I'm a different person. They know me And he doesn't confuse himself. He doesn't say, who am I? And what am I? 
And I am I as good as I might be? Or what about this that I did? And that that I did? Every day is a little different. People like to drive themselves crazy with things like that. But, but in the old days, this is what Dr. Mahmoud says. What are you going to be on the couch all your life? You move on. And he says, he says, so forgetting is a wonderful thing. It's like a cure, it's a panacea, because if we had to think all the time about all the places that we've been in, and all the things that we had thought about, and all the things that we had to do, that we had to do, we wouldn't know what's going on with us at all. He says, and Rav Nachman was concerned about people davening. He says, this would stop you from davening. Sometimes he's not sure if he was honest. He's not sure if he gave proper weights and measurements. He's not sure if he really gave staka when he said he gave staka. He says, he says, we escape they tov echayot say. Kasheva, shell, lo tova sabinyan zevriot say, the chain hayat zerifla sot tayot say badava. The yeshem of albalimo tov, the eight avoda tov, the Torah, obitsvila, the chayot say. Sometimes these thoughts don't allow him to daven and don't allow him to learn Torah. Be haf gamim shekagam me kodem. He did it even against God. Summary. What beats Shechecha? What's the thing? What's better than the fact that we forget? We forget. We rewrite. We repaint. Isn't that what we do? It didn't happen that way. It happened. I was right. I was really right. I was really good. I was really in the way it should be. Really, really. But I have to remember all the things I did that were wrong. I, I would break under the, under the weight. Shikicha makes it possible for you to live and stand before God. So you see that the Rav Nachman tried to explain. What did he try to explain? If it's also to forget, how come we forget? You know, as if God wanted to make us such that we didn't forget and were able to maintain the integrity of the Torah by never forgetting anything that we had learned it would be easy enough to make everybody with that kind of a brain or that kind of a mind and we'd all just remember everything and we'd have nothing to do Allah comes to Rav Nachman and says no forgetting is part of the essential nature of the human being you can't live without forgetting so the Torah comes and says that you have to work hard, even in the matter of remembering and forgetting, to maintain the integrity of the Torah and the Torah Shavuot, just as we do in specific matters with Baal Tosif and Baal Tigra, we're not allowed to forget. In general, 
because that also affects the integrity of the Torah. But isn't this taking the Shekhtah of the Pasuk totally out of context? It isn't saying Lotishkach. Who's? The Yisra of the Pasuk and Dvarim that you read. It isn't saying Lotishkach. Yishabelechah Pentishkach. Yishabelechah Pentishkach what? Well, the experience and the things you learn. I said, I said, I said, I said, I said, usually taken to mean the answer of forgetting Torah. It's true, you, you're right about the words, but I, I think I mentioned that specifically. Is that the concept of the individual Torah or the Torah on mass? Meaning the Torah on mass should not be forgotten. But if you forgot individual. Uh, your individual learning on uh, Elbow Schwitter, <laughs> it's not, you're not over on the love. If you forgot the whole of the concept, you're asking when you look. Away from the materiality. I mean, I guess, it, I guess it means that if you try not to forget and you work at it, then you're okay. I mean, the fact that you forget is part of nature. Right. And so the Torah can't be referring to that. The Torah can't say you should be other than you are. But the Torah says, given the way you are, you have to try very hard not to forget. So if it means that you have to review and you have to keep learning, so that's what you do. You do the best you can. I don't think it's an operative. Right. Right. Things that you learned in the Torah, and that's why in the debate about curriculum, whether a person should learn all of the Torah, or should only learn the Torah that's relevant to life, for example. So, so this, uh, this idea is included, that, there's, uh, that learning Torah is also about the integrity of Torah. It's not only about knowing what to do in a particular situation. So if it's about the integrity of Torah, so you have to learn the whole thing. So these are all psukim from the parasha, more or less, and the ones that are not from the parasha are from the first parasha of the book of, of the Torah. And these are part of the ideas that Moshe Rabbeinu left the Nebuchadnezzar with as they were on their way to Eretz Yisrael. Have a good job.